ride with me in my foul life. Hello, Foul Life podcast audience. I'm really uh, excited to tell you that our numbers are through the roof. And I mean through the roof. Millions of downloads this last year. We're not Joe Rogan. I get that. Joe Rogan is the master and he deserves all of his success. But we're working hard trying to be consistent in our deliverables, our guests, diversified in our topics, our guests. And um, we're proud of it. We're proud to say that the Foul Life podcast, as well as our sister podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody, Where the Payment Ends, 40 Years to Freedom, Anna V's American Wing Shooting, they're doing well. Um, we're trying to be different and we just want to thank you. Thank you all so much. And this is another episode of the Foul Life Podcast, and I'm fired up for it. It's Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats, a good friend of mine, been friends for a long time since the early 2000s, came up together with Avery Outdoors and Greenhead Gear and Avery Sporting Dog. And it's just been amazing to me to see his success and his partners just doing what they're doing at Habitat Flats and what it's become. It's a destination. It's our goal to get there as duck hunters. And and to the McCauleys and to Tony, thank you for always welcoming us in. I can't wait to get back there this season. Tony and I just lay down um, everything from some recipes to preseason work to teal season to mallards and the moon and the weather and the sun and and what it takes to break ducks down with calling. And we're going to continue these conversations with Tony Vanamore. He's one of the best there is, in my opinion. He's very humble. I love his family. Thank you, Kate, his daughters. They're just amazing people, his guides. I've made a lot of good friends in my short times at, at Habitat Flats. And uh, like I said, I can't wait to get back there. So I hope you all enjoy this. The Foul Life Podcast, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by the one and only Benelli. Simply perfect. They got the SBE 3 now in 20 gauge and 28 gauge to go along with the 12 gauge. Now, look. They only make the 12 gauge. The 12 gauges is made in left-handed. They don't make the 20 gauge or the 28 gauge in left yet, but they are. I've got some inside information, I think, and I'm hoping, I'm praying that they are. I'm begging that they do make them in lefty. But you mix that SB3 with the M2 and the new Ethos models and the, the 828 and the 828 Sport, and I can go on and on. The Monty Felcher, there's so much that, Benelli has done to up the game in shotgunning and we are so proud to have Benelli as the title sponsor of the Foul Life Television airing right now season 14 is airing currently on the Outdoor Channel exclusively on the Outdoor Channel we got some awesome episodes coming up with Wyo Braska Black Goose Outfitters we were just in Oklahoma with Blue and Trey and Flatline Outfitters with Cody Cannon of Whiskey Myers and Chase Rice and Rob Roberts and Brian McGee from Gator Coolers just fired up for those episodes but Benelli Thank you so much. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Dogtra. We believe in training callers. We believe in ethical training of our sporting dogs. Axel, everybody at Mossy Pond in Georgia, Brad Arrington and Lee Howard, they depend on Dogtra. The quality, the execution, everything that goes into making sure that we are able to train our dogs and execute on a daily basis, Dogtra allows us to do that. It's very humane. It's very ethical to train with the caller. Look into it. Educate yourself. Look at the different products, the dual products, the two the two dogs, the single dogs. Everything that Dog tra- is putting out on the market is for the dog trainer. Obedience, it could be just for your pet. It could be for a sporting dog, a duck dog, a high-powered testing dog. Dogtra is there, and we're proud to name them as the official training caller of the foul life. 
Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Safari Club International. You know what's up. Become a life member. First for Hunters, SCI. They're fighting behind the scenes daily in our nation's capital and all of our state's capitals to ensure gun rights, shooting rights, hunting rights, taxidermy rights, hounds, chasing bears and mountain lions with hounds, hunting on Sundays, Veterans Days, youth hunts, what's going on in California, SCI, the entire crew, Ben and Laird and everybody there. Chris, thank you all for your undivided support and attention to hunters rights and putting hunters first every day please if you're listening to this become a member even if it's just a yearly member become a life member of safari club international they are fighting for hunters rights like i said and putting hunters first on a daily basis we have two more to get through i love our partners that's why i take the time to do this i hope that you guys are getting something out of it and go and check out all of the partners and sponsors that are supporting us the foul life podcast today's episode is also brought to you my boys ricky and kyle and everybody down in louisiana the cajun country of louisiana gator tail motors gator tail boats we're running them they are there's nothing like them i mean this i've ran other mud motors i've ran other duck boats these things get you where you want to go. They're safe. They're balanced. They're powerful. They're easy, easy to operate. I love the every single thing about how the motors are built out at Gator Tail. They're the most enjoyable ride on the water, in the woods, on the rivers, in the marshes. Check out Gator Tail for your next mud motor, your next duck boat. Combo them up. The pricing is very favorable very affordable thank you kyle thank you gator tail i can't wait to get down to louisiana and hunt with you all this season eat some of that gumbo that etouffee that jambalaya gator tail the official duck boat and mud motor of the foul life tv and the foul life podcast and last but not least today's episode of the foul life podcast is brought to you by our friends at decked deck usa keep your drawers organized all of your gear i don't care what time of year it is if it's fishing season if it's dog training season if it's hunting season if it's construction season if it's farming season get those drawers in your truck keep them organized with the slot the different slot dividers you can get the different toolboxes you can get you can get the peacekeeper which is their gun rack that goes inside of the drawers keeping your guns separated from banging into each other decked is the ticket they're a fast growing company they're american made i am so excited to be partnered with deck matt chopper thank you all so much to the crew in idaho get on decked.com right now and get your drawers ordered and get them organized for this upcoming 2022-23 season this is tony vandemore habitat flats the foul life podcast i'm chad belding your host thank you all so much for being here have you seen any more teal at all uh, i saw a bunch about 20 two days ago that's been it sit on a pond yeah, one of our little flooded fields that were just starting to flood there out in sheet water. I've heard there's several down in Texas. I heard that and uh, a few in Louisiana too. I wonder what, wonder why it doesn't seem like it's that cold up there. I wonder what sparks them to move that far south this fast. I mean, it's still it's still 110 degrees in some parts of Texas. Yeah, them suckers are just in a hurry, man. And I think it's the adult males that they come through first. I mean, they get done breeding, get the flight feather back, and they roll. Do you think it's just because they they like the pro? I mean, it's hard to say. Do you think it is? Because obviously we may never know, but it just seems like a lot of work to do to want to do it in that much of a hurry to get to an area that really is going to be miserable unless they really like that kind of heat. Yeah, they must. I don't know. I know they like them invertebrates and all that, and that stuff thrives in the heat. Do you still enjoy shooting them? Oh, I love shooting teal. 
I love when they get balled up around a mojo. Like it's the it's one of the coolest things in duck hunting. The center of it just falls out. <laughs> yeah, they always do too. They always seem to just ball up right in there. And if you just and then you know it's those shots that go straight up in the air. If you just condition yeah. yourself to get ready for for your second and third shots up there, you can start picking them off no problem. They're fun to hunt. What's your all time What's your all time favorite teal recipe, Tony Vandemore? Really teal steaks. What teal steaks? So you do the you you do the shred you shred it up and put it to cheese on a hoagie roll. I'll actually just slice it, slice them thin, and put them in some olive oil for the day or whatever. Whenever you get done cleaning them, throw in some olive oil. Then get two skillets, saute peppers, onions, mushrooms, and then the other one just flash fry those little them little teal strips. I mean, thirty seconds aside, maybe. I mean, nothing to speak of. And then put them on a hoagie with cheese and Abby's house dressing. Ooh. Abby's what? House dressing. Is that a Midwest thing? I don't know if I've ever heard well, of that. our buddy Abby, the chef, his restaurant, oh, okay. his, his house dressing is freaking phenomenal. It's like a onion vinaigrette type deal. It is lights out. I might have to get some of that. Does he sell it? Oh, yeah. It's badass. And it, what do you do? Order it online at abbeys.com or something? I think he's got an online deal, peartreerestaurant.com or so. I'll find out. We'll have some when you're here. That's all the stuff that girls serve in the lodge is is his. What do you have? Uh, I'm trying to think if I met this guy. Would I have he, met he may have been there when you were there. He's normally there most mornings, but he's got a really nice restaurant like 30 miles east of us. I think I did meet him. I yeah, I mean, he's got one thing for us. Yeah, I did meet him. I remember yeah, for sure. So on, on when you're when you got them in the olive oil and you take them out, do you do you season the till meat with any kind of dry rub or seasoning yeah, salt? Yeah, I'm gonna season it with, with whatever I've got laying around. Usually, that Traeger fin and feathers pretty good on it. And then do flash you? I can't hear you breaking up right there. You said you flash fry them. Yep, flash fry them and uh, and then throw them on a hoagie. It's good stuff. Do you toast the hoagie oh. first or? Do you, yeah toasted i'm gonna try this that sounds awesome and then i i i i I suppose that yours is loaded up big time like you have most of the meat on yours do you take most of the teal meat oh yeah (laughs) because i i would think that 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 would be an unbelievable recipe but you got to have a lot of teal meat on it to make it worth a while yeah the other thing i mean i like smoking them whole for sure i like breasting them with the skin on and grilling them or you can do it in a cast iron and then use those little Hawaiian rolls to make little teal sliders with a pickle and horseradish on it. Oof. With the skin on. Yep. So did you say that you smoke it first and then reverse sear it in a flash fry after it smokes a little bit? Yep. Do you cut the breast and the skin off? No, you're smoking them whole and then you cut the breast and skin off. No, I'll, I'll cut the breast out and leave the skin on. You know, take the feathers off the breast. And then clean it out and just kind of score the breast a little the, the breast a little bit, and uh, and then knead it on a little wine roll with a couple of dill pickles and a big lump of horseradish. Man, so you're so you're not leaving the bone on when you take when you pull the bone the breastbone off. You're actually taking the knife and cutting both sides of the breast meat out with the skin on after you pluck yeah. it. And then you're taking a knife, a really sharp knife. When people hear the word score, you're putting little lines in the skin. So the, the seasoning and the flavor and the smoke 
can penetrate through the fat and the skin and get into the breast meat. And then you're taking it off there after it reaches a certain temperature. And then you got your hot grease ready to finish them on a flash fry. Yeah. Or your hot oil. Oh, man, yeah. that sounds Little good. Slider. Peel sliders, the horseradish money in the dill, in the dill pickles. Are you, are, are you a, a creamy horseradish guy or are you a, a raw horseradish guy or does it matter? Yeah, raw. 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 Yeah. You got what do you have? A, is there a certain flavor back in the Midwest around Kansas City that's that you recommend? Man, there probably is. I couldn't tell you what it is. I like that Beaver Raw. Have you ever had that Beaver Raw? Uh, yeah. The yeah. Beaver brand. They got a pretty. But yeah. it's, it, I like I like going into like little boutiques in different parts where farmers. You know, they got like different farmers markets and finding a good good horseradish. And I've done it. I did it in Wyoming last year. I was up in Torrington, Wyoming with Wild Brassica, and they have an, uh, a really good horseradish maker up there that you can uh, that you can buy up there. And I bought it probably three days in a row because we were going through a bottle every night. But I love horseradish. Absolutely love it. But I'm going to try that. So pickle, horseradish, no cheese on the slider? You don't Damn. need any cheese. I like cheese, but it's just got a good flavor. When you cook like that, do you, is it – become a celebration or is this kind of like a, just a family deal where it's you and the wife and the two daughters or does this is does it always become a celebration around the lodge when you're when you start to throw down like that and people are like wowed by man what a great day we killed all these teal and now we're celebrating celebration college football i mean the best time of the year is back we're hunting waterfowl we're cooking we're eating we're watching football i mean that's the that's the kickoff to fall and when you start when you start talking about like the best time of the year, you really do mean that because a lot of people say, "Oh, it's awesome because it's the holidays." And but do you really like, you know, you got I know you're a turkey hunter in the spring, and you got good weather then, and it can be warm in different parts of spring. Then you get into the summer, and I know you like Florida, and you go to the boat, and you like the water, and you're fishing, and you're you're doing the family outings. By the way, I saw your stuff at the Grand the other night. That looked like a blast. To, to end the kids summer vacation we'll talk about that but do you really mean that tony vandemore do you like right now you start going man this is what life's all about from from like september on yeah without without a doubt i mean it's what you work for all year and think about it every day the entire year <clears throat> i mean i do love summer i love boating i love swimming all that stuff but i like the first part of summer after about Fourth of July or mid July, I'm like, ah, get this over with. Let's roll. <laughs> do you do you think it's because you have a waterfowl itch, or does is is it something in our systems that's like well, you only need that sunshine for a certain amount of the year? You know, as far as like on your skin and getting that that heat and that feeling and that cold beer in a boat. I love that too, but I'm the same way. It's almost like. Man, you don't want summer to get over because I love being with my daughter and I don't want her to have to go back to school right away. But all I can start thinking about, I've been I've been this thought of my rear view mirror with with dust in it and going down a dirt road. And I always say with a cold beer, even though it's illegal to have an open container. So be careful when you start talking like that or doing that. I get that part of it, but I don't know if there's anything finer in life than scouting binoculars the boots on the, that you could feel the change in the weather. You see the leaves changing and you see that first flock of teal, or you see that first flock of candidates coming down. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know if there's a better feeling that the human system, I wish everybody got to feel that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think, you know, for waterfowl hunters, it, I mean, for diehard waterfowl hunters, it trumps 
it trumps everything else. I mean, your thoughts are consumed most 99% of the days of the year about waterfowl in one way or another. I mean, I guarantee you think about a duck every single day of the year at some point. Every day. Now, the early summer, the early summer is easier to take because, you know, the crops, you get all that stuff done and your crops are up and the moist soil, <clears throat> the little millet and smart weed starting to come up. It's an inch tall. It's like watching paint dry. You know what I mean? You sit there and you can drive around farms and they look the same every day. Early summer, it's just like, come on. But then you leave them for a little bit and come back. You see a little progress. But by the end of the summer, now you've got, you know, warm, warm weather. You catch a couple of rains. And I mean, you can practically watch your, watch your moist soil, watch your crops grow. And it's a, then it's like kicking in the gear, like, all right, yeah, I'm definitely over summer. We're, we're almost ready for, for game time here. That Everything's made. It's, it's time to roll. When you start, you, we're in our 40s now, and you, you employ some of the younger generation, what we would call them waterfowl hunters, guys that are in their 20s, girls that are in their 20s. What do you see the most? Like, do you see a change from when, we, when you and I were hanging in 2005 at the Avery Pro? I mean, this is almost 20 years ago, Tony, when we were in Tunica. Do you see a change in today's 20-something waterfowler when we were waterfowler? Is it, is it, a diff, is it, a, it become more of a fashion statement? Is there, is there things that make you go, what, what's that all about? Because I've been questioning some of the things I've been seeing. Do you, do you feel the same way? Man, honestly, I do. And uh, we're lucky. We've got some really, really great guides. But I don't know. It's hard to explain. So back, back when I played baseball, I mean, it drove me nuts to hear these young kids I mean, I was an old man. I was drafted as a fourth-year college senior. I mean, whatever. Here's, here's a plane ticket to Big Mac, you know, nothing. But to see these young kids that are signing for a pile of money and all they want is a day off. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? You're getting paid to play a game on a beautiful sunny day, a beautiful stadium. These little kids think you're Superman, and all you want is a day off? And I don't – I can't say it's, it's a lot of the younger generation, um, but I really feel like some people anymore kind of get, I don't know, burnout's the word, but I don't know how many young kids that are full-time guides, if you have a day off, are going to go out and hunt. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 100%. And that, that to me is a little bit odd. Um, it's more like a job and not – like a passion and it, and it's not not everybody i don't know that's just something i i see i mean i know if i've got a day off i'm going duck hunting i mean no matter what i'm going duck hunting regardless they only give you 60 days and uh, i'm not going to miss one whether i'm working or not it's just uh i think it's a different different level of passion maybe i i don't know it's hard to explain well if but i think there's a little bit of a change if you keep the analogy of baseball going you just want to be up at the plate in a good situation when you know that you got this pitcher's number and you're going to get to drive the ball to the opposite gap and maybe get two RBIs and have a, a, a head first slide into second and the crowd goes crazy. But you're, 
you're forgetting what it takes to get there kind of deal. Like all of the work that goes into that and all of the, the little initial steps that it takes to get to that love Lake spot on a sunny day and the mallards feet are down and they're dropping in and, and, and mother nature's cooperating and there's ripples on the water and, and, and you and Mark are just hammering on the call and breaking them down from the heavens. Like they forget about the little things that it takes to get to that day. Like what you just started this conversation with, like you're all greasy up and sweaty right now on a 95 degree day, messing with the brush hog to make sure your farm gets taken care of. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, with baseball, honestly, I love, I love the practice as much as the game. There's a hell of a lot more action in practice. I mean, you get to run around, chase balls down the gap. You're getting ahead a lot. And I think, I think there's not a lot. And same with, with the duck hunting. I mean, I love the off season work that goes into it. I mean, it's not just a job. I mean, it's what I love to do. I mean, you're, you get to ride around on ranges, ride around tractors. You're in tune with your farms. You're playing in the dirt. You're dirty. You're sweaty. You feel like you earned it. That's yeah. the thing. You feel like you yeah. earned it. You feel like you did. You worked so hard and had good vision throughout the entire process that now that it's there, you feel like you earned it and you, you're ready. Like you, you've prepared yourself for this. I think that there's a lot of, a lot of mindset today that, that you don't need to prepare, that it just happens, that it's just given to you that, oh man, if, I, if I'm the best caller in the world, I'll be able to be a consistently good waterfowler. And there's a lot more that goes into the duck business and being a great guide than there is than just getting lucky one time or two times and putting together a good hunt there. Your clients are going to remember a lot. So I I've seen that a lot. Like I just, I just saw it with some fishing guides that I was like, that's not how I would have handled that. That's not how I would have acted on a day. Like what we just experienced. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, treated the clients that way. I didn't say anything because I'm just like, I wonder if that's just protocol for these for these youngsters that are coming up like that, that's the way it is now. So I don't know, like I, I started, I was going to go into a, a, a conversation with you about, about the gear and waterfowl hunting and how you just said that we, we, we get it in our blood and we, we start to think about ducks every day. What, how much, how much do you put emphasis? Do you put on the gear today? I know that you have to rely and you have to have tr- you have to have trustworthy gear. Are you still a gear nut? Do you still get fired up for the actual business part of what you do? Absolutely, <clears throat> absolutely. Probably even even more so now because you know, for me, for me, uh, you know, my time is precious. Your time is precious, and the thought of taking fifteen minutes out of my day when I get home at night to clean a gun is not something that I want to, that's not 15 minutes I'm willing to give up or like, you know, you're spending whatever, 120, 30, 40, 50 days a year out in the elements. You shouldn't have to think twice about, you know, your, your waiters, your, what you're wearing. You're not going to be cold. I mean, to spend that much time out there and, uh, and not enjoy it with the equipment you have today is, is ridiculous. So do you get fired up that like, you know, like let's say in August to where do you still like, are you still curious of what's going on out there? And what do you, I guess the question to Tony Vandemore is you seem like a guy that stays in your lane, but are you secretly watching and kind of watching from a corner of a room and being like, 
Oh, I see what this company's doing. I see what this outfitter's doing. I see what this brand is doing. Are you are you that guy that pays attention, or are you so Clydesdale with blinders on that you're just in Tony Vandemore's lane and Habitat Flats? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, when it comes to gear, I'm kind of always keep my eyes open. I mean, you're always looking for a better mousetrap, better motion system, something like that. Um, but as far as like my personal gear and whatnot i just i don't really worry about it because i know what just from experience whatever i'm i'm gonna be using uh, or have used in the past worked and that's why i'm still using it so when when you start i don't worry i don't get, I don't get too caught up in in what other what other people are doing or, or anything like that i mean at the end of the day you know you're not looking in their mirror you're looking in yours so when you there's no comparison then I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, cause you, like there's not anything better than habitat flats. Like when I was there last year, I was like, wow, man, like this is legit. And I can't wait to get back there in a couple months. Is there ever any comparison? Do you ever wonder what if, or what's this guy doing? Or do, or is it just like, you know what my, I am. Uh, and I see you shaking your head and I already know the answer now, but it just seems like you're a hundred percent centered on your family and you don't really get outside of the lines to really worry about any drama in this space or anything that's being said about anybody. You really don't pay attention to that, do you? No, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. I mean, there's, if there's drama, if there's this or this, and what, what's so-and-so doing? I mean, none of it matters. I mean, I've got the, the deck of cards that, that I'm, that I'm dealt, you know, I've got, I got my hand of cards and I can do so much with it. Make, make each farm look as good as it possibly can. Um, there's nobody that's going to answer. Nobody else is going to answer to if I've got a place that looks like garbage or if a, something, a blind's not brushed right or something like that. Um, I just worry about me and, and our, our place and our guys and what we can do to make our place the best. If somebody else has a better place, man, that's great. I hope everybody has kills the heck out of ducks there's lots of them there's lots of places um i don't see it as a big competition i think it's ridiculous i mean it's not a competition we're all i mean we're and that's kind of the division within hunters that we see today you know like oh hey i'm not going to talk to you you got uh, a foul life hat on and and uh you killed more ducks over in idaho than we killed over here so that's we're going to hold a grudge or whatever the hell it is i mean it's ridiculous man it's so crazy that, that yeah, the infighting is one thing that I talk about a lot of, of why, why can't we look at it with a, with a viewfinder of let's help each other out. Let's celebrate each other. Let's, let's reward each other or at least compliment each other of, 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 of success. And it might not be a strap full every single day. But it, it just seems like people have the ability to critique a lot. We all know we do now. We could go on and critique the rocks workout and say that that ain't a workout. That those that leg day is that looks easy compared to what I just did. And it's like we've all become these critics to where instead I wish that we would look at this the social media platform or the ability to celebrate somebody and say, hey. Let's let's find the good in this because if we don't, we're going to give somebody a, a reason to be negative back towards us, and that's just going to create more negative energy, which is not good for hunting. 
we're already being looked down upon by so many people that don't agree with it and aren't aligned with aren't aligned with it that when I see you doing good, I'm just like, man, Habitat Flats is a freaking superstar place. Not that you're a superstar. I don't care about your, your, your celebrity or any of that. I'm talking about like this place has been built up from scratch and has become something that all of us can be proud of. Like I'm proud of Tony Vandemore and his partners and everything that you guys have done to, to do what you've done for ducks, not just in, in the way of killing them and hunting them and showing what habitat flats means. I mean, the conservation and the food source up and down the flyway when they come down their migratory routes, there's a lot to be celebrated in what you've done. So I look at it more of like man i knew tony when tony didn't have habitat flats i, I can't believe he stepped out and went and built this and clung and climbed all these rungs on the ladder i don't get jealous of it i want to be celebrating it with you and high-fiving you when we see love lake light up like it has the potential to do and so that's what i hope people take out of of this duck season is like hey if we have seen division it's been the last two years we have been divided as a country we can't be divided as hunters and i see that in you every day of like you really do stay in your lane and celebrate the entire culture of the american waterfowl hunter and hunting alike yeah absolutely i mean i think it's easier to i think it's an easier out to do something negative like hey man i don't like your five-billed cat it's an easier out to do something negative than it is to do something positive. It takes more effort to do something positive in today's world. A lot more. Yeah. A lot more. Do you deal with it? Do you deal with uh, haters still? I'm sure I don't really pay any attention to it, but you don't like you. So if you go onto your social media, which you have an active social media and you, you don't see somebody come on there and go, Oh, it must be nice just to hunt in the best place in the world all the time. Oh yeah. I'll see stuff like that. Nothing, nothing gets under my skin. I, I really don't care. Like at the end of the day, uh, I answer to myself, my wife, my two girls, that, that's it. But I'll, the only thing, the only thing I'll look at something and be like, that's stupid. You know, when somebody's like, ah, you're just lucky. Well, there's a lot of people that they may be lucky in life, but, um, I think it, a lot more to it than luck. You got to take risks. You got to put a lot of work in. Talk to me about what it means to take a risk, Tony, because you had a, I don't know if a lot of our listeners know, but you had a pretty successful career going on. I don't know how lucrative your career because it's none of my business, but I know that you were making money and that you were happy and that you were hunting whenever you wanted. And you're driving somewhere with your dad North and you get out a piece of paper and you start writing down a map and a drawing of what would be entitled havoc h-a-v-o-c flats and then after sitting down with some different friends and different colleagues you said well that that name's because some of your friends misunderstood you right and thought you said habitat and they're like well i think you should keep tell tell our listeners a little bit of that story please yeah i mean uh aaron and ira and dan and myself i mean we didn't Oh, we didn't have anything at the time and uh, thought we had a good idea and um, a way that, that we could, you know, develop more ground and, uh, and the resources to get it paid off. But I mean, we were scratching pennies together to, to get down payments on the lodge and stuff like that. I mean, there was nothing handed to us on Silver Spoon. And uh, Ira, or, well, Clay Connor, he used to do a lot of uh, – painting and stuff. We used to be with DU and Ira called him and said, Hey Clay, we need a logo. And he 
in and, and Clay is, you know, talked to him on the phone and said, Havoc Flats, yep, we need a logo for it. Well, he sends a logo back. I don't remember what it was. Week, week later, whatever, a couple of days, I have no idea. And it was Habitat Flats. And we're like, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool, but it's, we've already filed everything. It's Havoc Flats. And he's like, Havoc Flats? He's like, well, I thought you said Habitat for one, but he said, think about it. You guys are all about, you know, management and conservation and stuff. We're like, yeah, it's got a pretty good ring to it. <laughs> So that's what we rolled with. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of like a, a a humbling story that it, this place was supposed to be wrapped around energy and like like a you know just chaos going on right because of all the yeah. ducks and this guy comes in and says hey pump the brakes a second you said you you I interpreted something that I know is what you meant you didn't really mean to say havoc Vandemore and I and all you guys you meant to say habitat and I'm here to tell you that it's going to be that's kind of a really cool deal because that really doesn't happen in branding that much it's usually the other way around where the the businessman comes up and says hey here's my name develop me a logo and that's a it's a cool deal so is it, is it, did you even argue with it at all? Or are you just kind of like, yeah. it was that phone call. You're like, let's do it. We're saving it. So you had to call your lawyers and, and change the, the, the LLC and the trademark search to, to Habitat. Yeah. I made everything DBAs and uh, now Havoc Flats is kind of the, the mother company and everything else goes under it, but it was, yeah, it was that easy. Thank God he did it. It definitely has. I mean, it means a lot more for what we do and what we stand for. What do you remember your first group you ever took out as a havoc flats, DBA habitat flats guide DBA means doing business as, which is a, a business term to where when you file for a business, you can have a subsidiary under it. Um, so it could be havoc flats and then doing business as habitat flats. So do you remember that first group that you took out as a guide and an yeah. owner? I don't think so. I, I remember, um, like a lot of the snow goose, I had a little snow goose business prior to Habitat Flats. I remember a lot of those guys, um, on the duck side, I've got a pretty good idea, but, but not sure it's the first. Do you, do you, do you think that you have any clients today? What was the first year of, of the first group ran for the duck business on the farm? Was it, was it in 08, 07? I believe, I believe it was 2007. So when I saw you in Tunica and we took that picture together with Alan Hughes, which I still have, um, did you have it in your mind right now? Were you actively working on this, this plan at that time, two years before? Maybe not two years before, um, but not too long prior to that. I mean, we put it in motion pretty quick. So it was, so the snow goose was happening at that time in 05. Yeah. And you just, and you started to look at the, the, the land right in that part of Missouri, probably not too soon after that, but you'd already had a really good recollection of what that land was. You'd been hunting that area pretty much your oh, whole life, yeah. but across the river, right? Yeah. I mean, we've been, been hunting public ground, leasing, leasing some farms. Aaron and I had some place, had a place. Dan had several spots. Uh, I ended up getting a farm just down the creek from like Aaron and Ira and Dan was right there. And we had places that we were hunting and managing, but just we were doing it personally. I mean, you know, you only take four guys, you got 
whatever. Say you got a handful of spots where you can only kill 16 mallards in a day. So we had places that we weren't even hunting that much, but we were spending money on. And we kind of originally looked at it as a way to just kind of subsidize the cost of management. I mean, it's expensive to pump water and do all that stuff. And it, I mean, it went a lot faster. I mean, we knew it, we knew it was going to be pretty solid, but um, it way surpassed surpassed uh, what we were thinking. And how many acres are you guys farming now? And what does Habitat Havoc Flats and the Grand consist of? Is it is it multiple farms now? Is it take up a lot bigger circumference than it did originally? Now you're you're way north of where you ever. How 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 big is it now? Yeah, I, I don't know what we've got. Probably well, we've got a few leases, probably 4,500 4, acres. I don't know. But what was wild is we built the original lodge to sleep 24 to be able to run four groups of six snow goose hunters in the spring. We only ran like six or eight duck hunters at a time the first year because we never wanted to sacrifice quality. So then as we buy a farm, we'd fill a couple more beds in the fall, buy a farm, have a couple more spots to where all of a sudden the lodge was full. And then we built the, the, the East wing next to it where you, where you were at. And that slept another eight. And then holy cow, we're running 32 every day. And uh, now we got more spots and that's when we built the grand. Uh, it's just been, been great. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a heck of a lot of work and a lot of risk, but whatever. When you start talking about risk, and I mentioned this before that I wanted to talk about risk, is that you're not only risking entrepreneurial part of this with, with money and investment and time and sweat equity, you're dealing with something that you're depending on government, mother nature, federal government, local and state government. Like you're dealing with a lot of different tiers that could really, you know, either mess up or really help. Like they could say, all right, well, the the limit's one duck this year or two ducks this year. I mean, think about that. Like if something happened that drastic, your your clientele might be like, I'm not traveling that far to kill one duck. It happened to a lot of outfitters in the Chesapeake Bay, you know, when the when the Canada Gooseland went. I mean, you're, that this risk is a lot bigger than people could imagine of that things could change in a heartbeat. They could say no more spring conservation season. And that's going to take a lot of revenue out of your business model because that's what you're dependent on. Now, I'm not saying that's ever going to happen but it could, right? Could. Yeah, definitely could. Did definitely. you, did, do you, did you think you have to think about this a lot or was it ever even a question? I mean, it was never a question. It was just, uh, we're not going to let it fail. So keep working. And, uh, when we did all the work ourselves for the most part, I mean, the guiding, the farming, everything, uh, a lot of sweat equity went into it for all of us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things like, we weren't going to let it fail. I mean, I'm sure there'd have been ways that it could have, but we probably would have, you know, all, we all have pretty good business minds, I'd say, and would have come up with a different way to, to make ends meet rather than let it fail and go bankrupt. Yeah, I totally get that. It's just a scary thought though. that When you start thinking that some of the, there's things that are out of your control, a lot of them when it comes to migratory bird hunting. A lot yeah. of things, a lot of things can be changed just with a, with a vote. What when you, when you talked about summertime, Tony Vanamore and after 4th of July, you're kind of like, I'm over it. 
does that ever happen during the season? You got a certain amount of days that are in group and new groups are coming in every three days and you're transitioning the lodge and do the turnover happens. Does it ever, are you ever like, Hey, the first month has gone by or are you just like slow down? I don't want this to end. Yeah. Duck season. No way. Never want it to end. Snow new season. It can get, snow new season's more like work because I mean, they're, they're so wild no matter what you, you can't make a snow goose do what you want it to do every day. I mean, it's not going to happen. I mean, the, the mornings that it actually feels like work, you wake up during snow goose season, it's pouring down rain. Like it's going to be rough, but I mean, that's, it is what it is. Um, duck season, you wake up pouring down rain. Eh, there'll be a break in it somewhere. They're going to move good. You know? <laughs> you're they're, they're a lot easier to tell yourself that it's going to be a good day because they're they're just a much more enjoyable animal in my opinion snow geese yeah. they'll snow geese will rip your heart out what i found over the years honestly is i tell myself i'm not going to get worked up about it um because you can't control the weather and all that but i still check the weather constantly we all do and you see that Big front coming, cold, northwest wind. I mean, you can't sleep at night. You got it played up in your head. Like, it's just going to be unbelievable. And you go out the next day and, you know, you're sitting there and it takes you till noon, kind of scratching ones and twos here and there. And that's a, that's a badass hunt. But it didn't play up to what you had in your mind. So you're like, oh, man, wasn't that good? And then there's days where you're like, Man, it's gonna be cloudy, no wind tomorrow. Damn, it's gonna be pretty rough, but eh, whatever. You know, it's duck season. And you go out there and something happens, the light switch flips, and you can't hardly beat them out of the hole. It's like, oh my God, that was incredible. It's the days that the days you play up in your head that are supposed to be unbelievable are the hardest ones to fulfill. And the days where you're like, eh, this could be okay, or eh, it might not be all right, might not be very good. Those are the days it seems like they just blow your mind. That's a great point. And I, it happens all the time too. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you, you get sunshine and a great wind and you're like, Oh, this is going to be the day. And then, I mean, anything can happen to change that up because you built it up too much and it's just not yeah. fulfilling all of your expectations. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times it's happened during duck season, during snow goose season. I mean, find a big humongous feed and Oh my God, this is going to be unbelievable. Great conditions. 15 mile an hour wind at shooting time sun behind this is just going to be awesome waiting there next morning put in all the work all the decoys are out and you're sitting there and you're just waiting to hear that that first bunch get up and start coming roofs gets lit up they all go the other way it's like holy crap we just spent half a night for nothing nothing. (laughs) not not a thing you can do about it nothing it hurts when you have it played up in your head being uh, something pretty special i would say that it probably it probably doesn't happen that often where you where you get that thought of like oh man this is this is not going to be a good day you guys have done your homework and i i feel that every day you have a chance there that's that's what's neat about that place and i'm not gonna there's other places that might give you that feeling but man there you just always feel like you're like you're in the game and that's a cool feeling like you get that little break in the weather and it might be pissing rain. And all of a sudden the sun peaks out for 20 minutes. You're in the game. You know, it's like that place gives you that, like that, that triangle and what you guys have built 
gives your clientele that feeling of confidence that, hey, we're in the game. And that's yeah. a good feeling. That's that's all you can ask for as a duck hunter is, hey, we're in the game. Like we might be surprised once in a while, but the, the last thing you want to do is have those have that situation or that that spot to where you're like, yeah, we just we're not in it. This, this we're we're not going to get them. We're just we're not set up for this. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're hunting hunting wild birds, and uh, you can't control them. You can't control Mother Nature. But if you're sitting there, not, you can go anywhere in the country. And maybe there's some places, I don't know, it's not here. You're not going to kill them 60 straight days. No. But when you're sitting there and it's one of those days where it's like, man, there is not much happening. What's going on? Is it the moon? Is it the weather? When you look around, you're not going to be able to blame it on a lack of effort. The food looks phenomenal. The blinds are awesome. The spreads are great. I mean, that's the only thing you can do is the things you can control need to be top notch. Whether you're, a guide or not. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't go out back before we guided and waste my time. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. Educate us, Tony Vandemore on what you just said, the moon. Um, some of our conversations the last three years have centered around, well, here, these dates look pretty good because the moon's doing this. Talk to us about what you mean of a guy that just admitted that you're always watching the weather. You're always trying to figure out the forecast and when that North front's coming through. What is the moon? What do you mean the moon? And the moon is all powerful. Waterfowl, fish, deer, everything. I mean, all, all animals. Um, and you can bet from, I'd say August. I don't know about July, whatever. August to May, every full moon, something is traveling at night. Something is moving on a full moon from August to May. And, and during season, it, it's kind of a, it's a love, hate, you know, uh, an early November moon, um, Katie bar the door cause they're coming. I mean, there's going to be, it might not be the mother load, but there's definitely some coming. And if the weather's right, it's perfect. If you get, you know, a big warm up on that full moon, 70 degrees in the fall, I mean, they're going to be nocturnal. I mean, whether you shoot at them or not, um, that's what they're going to do. So it's going to make for longer days. But there's always something traveling on the moon. So when you say nocturnal, you're saying that those ducks are going to wait until the very last second of daylight to start traveling, giving you less opportunity at them. You're just hoping for a few that come out early because that full moon. So are you trying to tell me, Tony, that, that it's two-sided when you set a love-hate relationship, that you want the full moon because something is going to be moving into the area from the north or even from the south sometimes, depending on the wind and the weather trend down below you. But during the season, it could be a hate relationship because that full moon might keep them grounded all day. Absolutely. I mean, I I want 60 days of sunshine and wind with the exception of taking out three, four, five days around the moon and give me some, give me some rain, give me some clouds Give me some snow, something to, to darken things up and let them move better during the day. When it's warm, man, they're coming out late. They're feeding at night. And you'll catch them. We catch a lot of them, you know, little kind of traffic holes that we hunt coming back into the refuge early. So you first, you might whack them in the first hour, two hours, but your midday stuff a lot of times when it's normally when it's shine, you know, it's, that's when we shine 10 to 2, sunshine and wind. 
full moon, not not nearly as good during the middle part of the day. Why do duck hunters have such a hard time believing somebody like you or me when we say ten to two? It's all everybody wants to be out there in the dark and they want to they they want the, those first ducks that plop into the decoys or the woody that flies through, and that's fine. I get that, but what is it, Tony Vandemore, about ten to two that made you just say that that that's when we shine? Is it just Habitat Flats? Because I I know that that happens in Idaho and Montana and a lot of places I go. Yeah, I mean, I you know what's what's interesting is all the different people we have from all over the country and whatnot, and people like different different weather. Some people want rain and snow and nasty conditions because their ducks fly better. For me, I prefer the the middle part of the day, especially hunting the kind of trafficy stuff that we do. Ducks are going back going back to loaf. You know, they've got a belly full. They're going back to loaf. You got the sunshine on the decoys. Your decoys are popping. Typically, you've got your wind by then, where a lot of times, you know, they might be calling for 10 mile an hour at shooting time. You're sitting out there looking like you should be throwing the top water out there. I mean, it's just glass. And, uh, you know, they're just, they're easy to kill a little part of the day. You might not see as many, but man, they they stick together good and, and they come right in. They do it. Mm-hmm. They do it right. What do you think they're doing that time of the day? If you had to guess, Tony Vandemore, the Matt, the, I know you know Mallard Ducks. What, why, what are they doing that time of day? Are they, are they, are they athletes and they're exercising? They need to stretch out. Are they curious and they're just going on a little tour of the area? What are they doing? I think the ducks we're killing have uh, have had a belly full. They've either been feeding at night or staying out at night, and they're going back to loaf. Uh, you know, 10 o'clock, going back in to rest for the for the day, or they've been eating in the morning, going back in to rest 10, 11, 12 o'clock. Basically, they're just going to they're going to to relax during the middle part of the day and uh, loaf and soak up the sun when it's cold. Um, and they're just man, they're they don't know if their bellies make them stupid, but they're like, oh yeah, well, I, there's there's the refuge or whatever. They're they're content. They want to get down. Uh, they're full. I mean, you can see a lot of them that time of day come over. It looks like they swallow a football. I mean, they're just chock full of food. When you have an area like you have built and you have the ability to see ducks as much as you do there, there's, like I said, you're in the game there. How important is the calling? I know you're a caller. I know you're a fan of calling. How important is calling when you have the right elements? You know, you guys, let's talk about Tony's favorite day, the sunshine, the wind ripples on the water you're in the game how important is calling to you at your place the type of stuff i like to hunt it's crucial um because you'll never see a duck the places i hunt uh, the three or four holes that i really like to hunt personally you'll never see a duck on them there will never be a duck sitting there you could leave decoys out and there won't be ducks sitting there you're telling me where we hunted last year, there will never see a duck go in there when we go. If we just drove by there at 11 on a non-hunt day, there won't be a duck in there. No. So occasionally, occasionally you might come back. If if we have to run in for lunch, you might come back and one will get out of the decoys or something if you leave your decoys out. But just a natural slew in that proximity right there, there'll never be a duck on and everybody says, you know, what what kind of food do you guys put in, in these holes? I mean, you're killing all these ducks. They're coming in so perfect. You got to be baiting them. Or what kind of food do you have? Don't put any food in it. Keep them sprayed. All we you, want is you've water. Gotta be, you've got to be kidding me, Tony. 
that those that those ponds that I hunt with you don't hold ducks naturally. Nope, not unless it's the spring and the migration back north when everything else is drained. Wow. So it is calling because there is visual part of it on a sunny day of seeing those blocks down there, but you have to break them down or they're going to go right by you because they're not looking for that place. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, decoys obviously make a big difference, but if you sat out there and didn't call all morning and had that amount of ducks fly over you, I bet you wouldn't see a handful even cup up and, and kind of half start on their own. They're just streaming over you and they won't start until you just, you rock on them. Name one. I mean, it's active. I mean, oh, awesome. I freaking miss Mark and in, in, in being outside with you. I miss that place so much. And I left, I, I couldn't quit texting Mark. I know you're busy with clients and so is he, but I just kept texting like, what, what happened today? What'd you do today? Did you get into him today? Like that is the, like, I love that kind of active hunt. Is there any better feeling in the world, Tony Vandemore, than when you start them? Like, talk to me realistically. I know the birth of your child is amazing. I get that. I know the first kiss is amazing. I get that. But is there any better feeling in the world consistently than when a duck hunter, quote unquote, starts them? No, man, that's as good as it gets. They're streaming over. They don't want to be there. And you hit them and they just snap their neck back. I mean, they almost break their necks looking and then boom, one sets his wings and here they come. You look down the blind, you're like, got them. God. Like that literally, no pun intended. My, if you could feel my arms, they're all <laughs> goosebumps right now. You got them too? <laughs> <laughs> like I seriously, like I remember me and you and Mark looking at each other last year, just like, we got them. And you start that and it's like, and sometimes you might not finish them. Sometimes we'd be like, where'd they go? What happened? You know, something, that's what's cool about it is that you don't get everyone, but when you start them, and I remember Jimbo back in the day with Bobby Joe Willie back like way back when I first started my maybe my first or second year in Arkansas talked about that the breaking of ducks from the blue sky and and got them they're started they're in a race you know they, the southerners say things different but um, starting mallard ducks magic magic and I'm talking like I've seen 400 inch bull elk bugle and 200 inch mule deer over here and I've seen coyotes charge my call and turkeys fan I love it all. But man, there's something about mallard ducks in a blue sky and wind and sun when they yeah. start that you're just like, oh my gosh, my I, I I can't control my body. I get giddy. You know, I'm really, really excited for this year. Um, you know, with snow goose hunting, you really watch the hatch for sure. Yep. And I mean, duck hunting's no different, man. We came off of two years with poor production because of the droughts up on the prairies. And you can you can definitely tell a difference. I mean, you start you start a bunch of fifteen, circle, 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 one or two get in the hole, kill. It's not like the years where you have more young ducks. I mean, the, the hunting's better up and down the flyway for sure. I mean, you start a bunch of fifteen, they turn one time, make one hook, and put it ten yards in front of the blind. I mean, they stick together. It's just a, a lot different, a lot different deal. You can you can tell. You can tell the tough years when there's no hatch for sure. So you've been watching the surveys and you've been, you know, we haven't flown since the pandemic. We haven't been able to fly because of the, because of, you know, you got to have two people in the plane and they weren't allowing it. Um, You're seeing numbers now that DU is just released. Delta's released. The the hatch has got you fired up for the Mallard duck. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the numbers I saw, I think the Mallards were down 
2.2 million compared to 2019. And, you know, that's to be expected. We had, we had two horrible years of drought up there, but what that, what that's taking into account is the number of ducks that made it back North. That doesn't take into account the incredible water we had across the prairies this year and how many little ducks, those, those ducks that made it are putting out. Yep. So, I mean, when you get a big hatch like this, it, it's going to be a fun year. There's no doubt about it. So you're, you're telling us that it's going to be a fun year, no doubt about it. I know that you can't guarantee that, but I like, I love optimism and I love that about the, about, you know, seeing surveys and getting giddy about that and getting ready and prepared. When does it start? We, we're, right now we're sitting on August 24th. You're going to be teal hunting in a week from right now. Teal are going to be in and out. You might get what, what's it, what's fair to say, Tony, in that area, 10 days. Um, of the 16 days, we usually kill something most days. Um, you're straight up smokers. Yeah. I mean, 10 days, maybe the teal are, they're, they're so flighty. I mean, one little drop in temperature at night. I mean, it might, might've went from 58 to 54 and boom, they pick up, they pick up and go. I mean, they can't get South fast enough. Like the ones that, that we see now and, and this year has been a little bit later year, which kind of, kind of leads me to believe there's a, a big production year. Uh, most of the time I'll see my first teal last couple of days of July, first couple of days of August. And those to me are the adult males that are cruising through and, you know, we'll never hold those ducks. They might be here for a drink. They might be here for a night. They're gone and they're in Louisiana or parts South by the time we ever open. And then the years when there's a lack of production, we saw last year, the year before big, Big push comes like the first week of September. We opened the 10th. We had more ducks prior to opener than, than during the season. And that is that tells me that, that there was very few young ones, so they weren't waiting for them to be ready to fly. They all pick up and go. A year like this, what's today? The 24th of August, I've seen – I saw a pair maybe a week ago. And two days, three days ago, I saw a group of 15 or 20. It's the only teal I've seen. Um, and there's already teal, Texas, Louisiana, all that. We're not going to see them all. But the later years like that tell me that when the, young, the, the hens and the little ones start coming, there's going to be a bunch of them. They had a good production year. Wow, that's interesting. Text me in a month, and I'll tell you I was dead wrong. But, but that's interesting pretty, because they're waiting because they got, they're not going to leave them up there. Right. They got to get their, their flight feathers. And it depends. Did they hatch, did they hatch in, in May? I mean, most of them aren't even back there by May. I mean, you know, we still got blue winged teal here in May. I mean, by the time they get back up there, they have a pretty damn short window to turn around, get their flight feathers and get back here by September. And blue winged teal numbers are up, up. They're yeah. up according to the survey. Yeah. A million over 2019. And we know they had a, had a good hatch this year. I'm, I'm, I'm Pretty, pretty stoked for teal season. I could be, could be wrong. Months from now, I could tell you I'm way off, but I think it's going to be pretty good. So on September 17th, when it's all said and done after the 16 days is up, then what happens? We don't, we don't start till September 10th, and we run till the 25th. So you're on the 25th. So you guys are behind. You guys are actually later than most places. Right. But when I was a kid, uh, growing up in Illinois, we started September 1. And 
man, it was, you, it was good. I mean, September, the first, the opener in that first week was always good. And the older I've gotten, I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe they're, they're breeding later. They're not making it up to the breeding grounds later, but even 15 years ago here in Missouri, that opener was, I mean, teal everywhere. And over the last 10, 12 years, I've really seen a, a shift where they're, they're coming a little bit later. Um, you think of blue wing teal, I mean, most of them are in Louisiana or farther South by, you know, middle of September. And there's been years where a week after we closed, the last week of September, the first week of October, we've got more blue wings here than I've ever seen in my life. Um, I just, every year is a little bit different, but it seems to me like they're coming, coming a touch later. Touch later. And is that the same for mallards? No, no, not necessarily. Um, kind of actually the opposite, which is really strange to me. Um, we've been getting typically our first really big push of mallards is, you know, two days either side of November 10th. Um, there's usually one right around Halloween there. But the last couple seasons, there's been a big weather event in the Dakotas, um, you know, in October. I mean, a big, big weather event. In the last several seasons, we've had a pile of mallards here by the end of October. And those are the ones, you know, the, the first ducks we get, I think, are the ones that are raised in, in the Dakotas, Minnesota, you know, the continental U.S. They start, their season's open, they start putting some pressure on them, pintails, gabwalls, all that stuff. We're, we'll start seeing pintails, you know, here in a couple of weeks. Um, shovelers, <laughs> excuse me. Um, but the, the early mallards we get are, are raised here in the States. And then your later pushes, I think, are the ones that, that come from Canada. So you start you start to see the puddle ducks a little bit earlier because of the pressure or a storm or some kind of something's yeah, the, going the, on I in the Dakotas. Like the light in the day. Um, there's been, you know, and not just little fronts in the Dakotas. The last couple of years has been significant snowfall in October. I'm not saying all of October, but usually one big one big weather event. <laughs> One big weather event, and they will uh, get rolling. We got our first day of school today. Oh, look at you! Are you ready Hi. for it? Hi, Hi, it's good to see you. Your uniform. All right, I'll see you in just a minute. That's awesome. That's awesome. I got to do that last week. Um, well, I know you got to get going because this is an important time. Daddy's taking little girls to the first day of school. Tony Vandemore, Habitat Flats. Let's talk again before the mallards really get down there, and 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 well, let's let's regroup after teal season, see how you did, and see what you're seeing for mallards and and what you're hearing. Man, I'm proud of you, bro. I appreciate it. The hospitality when we come there, Havoc and Habitat Flats. Tony Vandemore, thank you for everything, my man. Yeah, look forward to having you, man. It's uh, I mean, as summers go. It has been, we've been extremely fortunate. I mean, there's been some monster, monster rains all over the country. And uh, for our little, little tiny part of the country, we haven't had a big flood yet. So we look really good. Habitat looks good. Should be a, should be a fun fall. I can't wait, man. Habitat Flats, if you haven't been there, it's like a Benelli. It's all of our goals to get there. That's, that's really, that's the truth. As a duck hunter, it's, it's a goal. It should be a goal of all of ours to get to Habitat Flats one day and experience what Tony Vandemore and Ira and every and just every single person that is part of 
the crew there from the cooks to the management to the guides to the owners they're an amazing amazing group of people and the land and the property is manicured and they're in the duck factory it's unbelievable what habitat flats has done i'm proud to be friends with tony vanamore i'm proud of his success thank you all for listening to another episode of the pal life podcast we'll be back at you with another episode thank you tony vanamore this song right here is called my pal life appreciate you it's in my heart, it's in my soul I'm right at heart and never quit Yeah, it's just the rising of the sun It's the fire in the air Anticipation rising my wings A day like this must be rest My foul life is in full swing Until the